Welcome to an episode of Weekly Weights. We lift weights and we are mates. On the weekend, we go on dates. Weekly Weights, Jim and Buddy. Weekly Weights with Alex and Will. Welcome to Weekly Weights. It's episode 105, um, or so Alex says. I'm Will. With me is Alex. You want to say hi? Hi. I actually feel really put on the spot because I always tell Alex to intro. It's like the thing that he knows the numbers, like he remembers the episode numbers. So I always say do it. And today he's just walked in and gone, you're introing today and I'm, I'm at panic stations. But well, I've just lost gone? pretty badly. <laughs> like abysmal. I've just lost my only job. So that was that was voluntary resignation. <laughs> yeah, I just couldn't be asked. It's like the era of COVID. You've gone back to your actual job and realized like how lazy you've gotten in the past three months. Yeah, hundred percent. I had two sessions today in the space of five hours, so it was a pretty chill morning. Well, I've been actually like wanting to do work this week. That is a which massive is new extremely leaf to turn rare for me. <laughs> yeah, but like in the last few weeks of lockdown, man, like you just get. So stale, stuck at home. You just don't want to do anything, even though you have heaps of stuff to do. Yeah, I went through big peaks and troughs. Like start of lockdown, I was like angsty because I was like, "Oh, what am I going to do?" And like I was trying to do things to save my business, but I wasn't motivated to do stuff. And then I went through a phase of like, I'm so bored that I better get creative. So I took on all these projects, like built new things for my for my business, like changed some systems, like explored some stuff, learned some things. And then I just got complacent. Then I was like, okay, I'm working from home. I'm pretty comfy and and I'm quite enjoying having free time. And at that point, I got pretty lazy. Like if I thought of a good idea that was actually just rewarding to me to do, then absolutely I'd do it, you know, because I had so much energy pent up. But if I couldn't think of something where there was like immediate emotional reward in it, I was pretty happy to just do nothing at all. Yeah? Yeah. First, first thing we need to talk about today, a little bit of an announcement. Big announcement moderate side it's a uh, small uh, announcement it's an announcement <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, we have a google form that you guys can fill out if you would like to hear us talk about a particular topic if you'd like to ask us a question for a Q&A if you would like to give us an overrated underrated or popularly rated topic or if you would like a particular guest on the show um, go on the weekly weights instagram at weekly weights podcast or on will's instagram link tree and there is a link to that form if Why you want to help you us out. Why have a link tree? I've got to ask. Oh, I've got to process one. I just haven't edited it. I haven't added the thing. But for yourself? Not for myself. You just get a link tree. It's like the most... It's like it's the most 21st century thing. You know how like people were saying that podcasts are a meme because everyone's got them? Which is true. Very true. Yeah. Well, link trees are like the next podcast, man. You've got to have one. I don't like conforming. Just like I don't like playing games. Everyone does it. It's boring. <laughs> no, um, get a link tree. But anyway, yeah, you can get it via my profile or weekly weights. And I figured maybe before we actually get into the topic at hand today, we could answer one of the Q&As because I feel like there's one that we can knock out. Um, and then we're going to do an underrated, overrated, properly rated that was suggested today. So the Q&A that I think we should do because it's a kind of quick one, bit niche. Um, this person didn't leave their details. If you want to be shouted out on the show, please just do leave your socials or your name so we can we can say thank you. Ask us three questions. But the first one was, do you think that forearm development could help with wrist and general stability in the bench press? And how much work or time do you allocate in your training for grip and general forearm strength? So kind of a double barrel question. Um, Alex, how much do you reckon forearm strength helps with um, wrist and stability in the bench press? In the bench press, probably not a lot. Because if we look at where the barbell should sit, which should be quite low in your hand, you shouldn't actually get any feeling in the forearm um it should almost kind of just rest there you're not like actively grabbing the bar like you would in a in a deadlift so i don't think you'd get a lot um from forearm training for bench press i do think you would get quite a bit on deadlift though yeah i it's one of those, this is a funny question i don't know why i picked it because uh, my answer is i don't know um I, like I think for certain people, like particularly like very lightweight women and stuff, probably having a degree of forearm strength and wrist stability really helps because you can't really like couch the bar low in your hand if it takes up like the whole of your palm. So for them, probably having some forearm strength will help. Oh yeah, of course. Having forearm strength is going to help, but 
you're going to get forearm strength from doing deadlifts, from doing rows, from doing pull-ups, pull-downs, yeah, yeah. everything. You, you don't, I don't think you need to add anything in additionally outside of your, your strength training No, no for that purpose. For deadlift, potentially though. Yeah. Like we know tons of people who have grip as a limiting factor on the deadlift and one, one of them is just sitting in front of me. <laughs> yeah, I was, doing, I was doing some heavy holds and things for my deadlift. And I feel like they were making a difference, um, but I I honestly think the most helpful things for me have actually just been deadlifts themselves because like that dynamic element's really important because like the way the bar wants to turn over in your hand as you have contact with your thigh and are moving is something that's very hard to replicate. But certainly forearm strength helps. The reason I'm still thinking about this for the bench press though is that like you... So gripping the bar really hard when you bench press seems at first glance like a good idea um like when in doubt squeeze the bar really hard and that um that sort of irradiation comp um concept so the idea of creating tension in one part of your body and then nearby you get extra tension and extra stability might hold some water and when i think about a lot of the people i know who are really good bench pressers like alex pretty much all of them have big forearms like think about can you think of a person who's a really good bench presser who has conspicuous conspicuously small forearms I like I can't and it's not to say that the forearms gave them good benches but probably it means that they've got good upper body development and they squeeze the bar really hard and they squeeze hard when they do rows and stuff like that and so I like I don't know I, I guess if your forearms were puny it certainly wouldn't hurt but it would also probably be an indication that you need to just squeeze harder I think if you like I genuinely think that you can bench almost the same amount if you don't even have your fingers touching the bar and literally just resting your. If you place it in the right. If part it's of your hand. Pa- if it's in the right spot and it's stable enough, I don't actually think you need to squeeze at all. Like I know a lot of good bench presses. Matt is a good example. He kind of just like barely touches the barbell with his fingers. Mm. Um, but he's got big forearms. I don't know if he has big forearms relative to like his lats or his pecs or anything I think no, they're he's probably like big like, all over yeah exactly yeah he's like 95 kilos so, lean, so, so his forearms yeah, <laughs> yeah like, so yeah. he does strength training and has for a while <laughs> yeah I guess I don't know I would be I would be I'd be skeptical of the idea that training your forearms would make a huge difference to bench um, although I do think that having some degree of forearm strength and, stabi- and like wrist stability will probably help but what Alex said about the deadlift absolutely true and I don't know how much direct grip training you need unless you have limitations on grip. Um, to sort of extend a little bit, one insight that um, that my coach Bryce gave me, which was which was interesting, was like when you have a forearm limitation or a grip limitation, sometimes you can almost think of like training your deadlifting, training your grip as separate because you don't want to like halt your development in general strength in the deadlift because of your forearm. And so in that instance sometimes actually using straps could almost be productive or will be productive because it lets you get through deadlifts who otherwise wouldn't provided that you still fill in the gaps behind with some forearm intensive work and include enough heavy grip work whether it's your top sets or like have a heavy grip day or something leading into competition so that your grip isn't under trained so that's one insight in where like having a forearm deficit might influence the way in which you train yeah you particularly don't want to be one of those people who does all of their deadlifts in straps no. Because you will have you will you will have problems on comp day mm. if you don't practice your comp grip. Yeah. All right, we're going to leave that. But like we said, guys, you can submit things via that form. Please do leave your name there so we can shout you out. That person didn't, so no shout out for you. He's also said, "Love the podcast, love your banter, good work, boys." Yeah, we're well, too fucking bad. We don't know who you are, so I can't love you back. But I appreciate it. Um, today's actual topic was um, was talking about like the idea of. Um, establishing an, an identity as a trainee and, um, and how our relationship with training can change over time and perhaps be manipulated for our, um, for our betterment or for our enjoyment and like what training and our self-perception have to do with each other. Um, so this will be a little bit esoteric, I would say, Alex, a bit philosophical. I was, um, I was writing some notes and got extremely bored. <laughs> That doesn't say much for me. After writing notes for one question, and I said to Chrissy, I hate getting introspective, so this might be a whole lot of will. You hate being introspective. That's so weird. Don't you ever just, like, think about stuff? About my own feelings towards things, not particularly. Do you think it would be productive? See, we're getting, like, a psychology insight into Alex. Well, like, Like, uh, honestly, I don't know. What if you did something, like, do you ever do something and regret it? 
yeah starting the podcast yeah. <laughs> um, driving over here you were like should we do zoom i'm like no no i'll come over yeah that's, your one, that's one huge regret yeah but you're fucking povo at the moment you got to sort your internet out dude yeah we're looking shout out TPG we're looking for, for new providers internet. so if anyone out there knows of or has good internet let well, me know who's your internet provider is and um he'll help christy and i out a lot um i'm getting aussie broadband and the reviews for them have been largely good so <laughs> I can't, what can't on earth are we talking about um no the reason i ask is like do you ever regret anything is like regret takes reflection right like as in if you literally are full hashtag no regrets in your life then that probably means you've never thought back over anything you've ever done right so like surely if you ever go like oh i regret that you're thinking like how did that action align yeah of course with my values and desires yeah of course so you are like introspective sometimes yeah but i haven't I've never actually thought about any of these questions, so maybe we'll find out. Yeah, let's find. Let's I want find to find out. out a bit about you that you didn't know about <laughs> yeah. yourself. So the first question was: Is what potential benefits do you see to being conscious of your relationship with training? Well, I mean, this one is pretty obvious. Like, um, being conscious in training allows you to sort of evaluate how your training feels, how hard your training is, uh, whether you can feel you know the correct muscles when you're doing certain exercises and um those kind of things but that's being conscious in training what about being conscious of how you are interacting with training like how training makes you feel about you or how you feel about training you know what i mean sure you you never thought about this i've never thought about this do you not ever talk to clients where they go i feel really down about my training oh yeah or like i feel anxious because i'm not as good as the next person yeah yeah i'm i'm astonished none of this surprise is feigned so so what about okay what does train let's forget the outline that i wrote (laughs) (laughs) we we gotta delve deep into you you got fucking problems bro (laughs) i can't wait one day for you to see a psychologist and for them to just sit down across from you and just be like holy shit you're my my mom (laughs) yeah well fuck no wonder you're fucked up your mom's a psychologist um she probably got that degree after you were born because she was like oh god this guy's fucking cooked um no okay so like you as a trainee right you started when you were a teenager right um, you've continued on to now. When you are in the gym, what is it about yourself, the person, that you feel like you're expressing? Like, uh, I guess the initial thing that comes to mind is competitiveness. Mm. That's probably that's why I started in the first place was to be you know a better rugby player, better basketball player, jump higher, run faster, be stronger, etc. And that's kind of just always been why i've been in the gym is to be better than the previous version of me and it's the previous version of you more so than the other people who are around you um i think initially it was the other people around me but as you get sort of further and further into it you realize like there are no there is no finite amount of progress that can be made amongst the community Mm. like everyone is capable of their own progress and someone else progressing doesn't mean you can't and you progressing mean doesn't doesn't mean someone else can't. Yeah. Um. In a true like sports sense of the word, like if I score a try, the rest of my team can't score a try. Yeah, I can't score that. Try. Can't score that try. Correct. Yeah. But that's not the case with um, with strength training. So mm-hmm. I feel like the longer that I've gone on with it, the more it's been more about me. And you know, if I do the things that I'm capable of, then I will be in a position where I'm proud of at the end. And it doesn't matter where I fall within the scope of other people. So why do you feel good about making training progress? I don't know. So this is the type of thing you've never thought about. Like I'm actually I'm super duper well, like, surprised. When when I achieve something I feel like an accomplishment, a sense of accomplishment, and I feel better about myself, but I don't know what drives that. Have you ever had a time where you where training has made you feel bad about yourself or when you've looked at yourself and said like some quality in me is holding me back in training and it's making me experience like something negative as a result of doing this thing? Never. So that's awesome. Um, I think some people actually do feel that way and I don't think it's a problem with training. I think it's a problem with them and their psyche, but that's part of why I wanted to have this discussion. Yeah, so what the idea of detaching how you feel about yourself to your training so your training and yourself are separate 
I think it's got to be selective. Um, that's something we'll get into because like, I don't think the value in training is really like long-term about getting stronger or else I probably would have stopped training when getting stronger got hard, right? Like, yeah, how long has it been since you got stronger? Fucking years. <laughs> <laughs> but I still feel good about myself from training and like, and I have this relationship with it that's, that's really good. Well, but, like, so what is it though? Is it the process of coming up with some sort of a plan and then sticking to it or is it the feeling you get after you train it's it's a number of things and both of those are both of those are among them like i think for me for me this idea that i can engage effortfully in a process and in doing that i can better myself so i can see physical betterment i can learn about myself i can learn how hard i can push my limits i can learn about my body um i can learn to like even the emotional lessons of learning when I have to adapt my training and not do the thing that I wanted to do last week that I'm not ready to do today or you know or when I have to push myself beyond what I would have believed I'm I'm capable of doing on a day because that's just what the training requires like all those things are just little micro lessons and they become really really rewarding and it it draws me back to training because I can do that and at the same time I can go into train and literally muck about and see my mates and chat with people and you know take stupid pictures and like whatever it happens to be i can explore exercises and play and i can also have that feeling that you have when you leave the gym of having a pump and you know being hungry and feeling like food you know fuels you and all those little things like i can sleep better all that stuff comes from training to me and so that's part of what gives me the positive experience for it for it but i also think that being able to sort of dial up my level of commitment and emotional investment in training is important too because there's times when when I'm like leading into a competition and stuff where I know that I need to give all of myself to training and it's got to be critically important and I'm, I'm looking for something acute and right there and there's also times where you know if I'm in a long off season so now like you know I'll probably do nationals but it's been it will have been eight or nine months since I last competed more ten months since I last competed when I do it so in January of this year so a month after after my last competition like i don't think it serves me well to be most emotionally attached to my training when when i'm furthest from doing something that's going to give me that that big numerical reward and where like i could be really derailed by circumstances like you know my lift or my gym closing and you know my work being upended coronavirus any of those things as well so being able to realize what part is training playing and dictating my emotional state um why am i vulnerable to it and how can i like manipulate the way that i look at training to ensure that i keep getting that positivity um and not be too exposed to the negativity of it unless it's in a way that's sort of serving me i think that's really useful it's the concept of the dimmer switch that we've spoken about in with regards to um psyching yourself up with regards to nutrition with regards to like um certain certain things that we would take more control over closer to a comp and less control over later later in a comp it's like your psyche and how much you invest into it is mm. going to change based on you know where you are in the the yearly plan yeah and so when i when i wrote my little notes for so the question before i realized that like you've literally never thought in your life you just you're like a fucking jellyfish in powerlifting dude you're just floating along and like you know you suction food out of the environment around you and that's it um <laughs> the original question was the funny thing is like my my job is to think about other people's training but, and that's the thing that's why I, ne- I was so surprised but I just don't think about my own training in that way do you think I just it's never, because of your I just job never have maybe maybe like, it's like numbed me yeah it's like I find it personally this is something that's come of being a coach I spend 30 hours plus a week at least thinking about powerlifting and I train general population clients as well so thinking about the gym call it 45 hours a week minimum so when it comes to thinking about myself in the gym, it's like, okay, I want to do the, the least possible most of the time because mm. otherwise I'm literally burnt out. Yeah. I mean, like I get feelings of, I get sessions where like things feel bad and I feel disheartened mm. and I I feel as if things aren't going well, but that doesn't make me think that I'm any less of a person or that I'm not trending in the right direction or whatever. Yeah, sure. So it's, yeah, it's interesting. Hmm. Well, the notes I wrote. So the initial question was, what potential benefit is there to being conscious of your relationship with training? And so the first thing I wrote is it allows you to engage in a way that's productive and rewarding. So being able to recognize like how important is training to me? So let's imagine that I'm an office worker, right? And I work 70 hours, 70 hours a week. I've got two young kids at home. 
Um, you know, and I've got a wife who needs my emotional support. I train as an outlet for myself. But when I list the order of my life's priorities, training's like seventh, right? Um, then being able to recognize that sometimes dealing with those higher priority things might put a bit of a knock on my training is helpful because it makes me, it helps me make objective decisions about how much time and effort am I going to invest in training and like how am I going to distribute that effort so it's going to be in the things that are, are like higher reward per unit time. But it also means that I can reconcile that like, hey, if my training is is affected by the fact that I've been up late dealing with my baby daughters who I love more than anything in the world, say, imaginary baby daughters I don't have any <laughs> that I know of, um, then like, then that can be productive. But if you go, you know what, training is the most important thing to me. And when I like, when I look at what it gives me in my life, it's the thing that I most want to focus on right now. Then having that as your guiding light also lets you make life decisions as well. So you can say, well, like, you know, how am I going to structure the rest of my lifestyle? What am I going to do with my nutrition? And like, how am I going to say, engage socially with my friends and things? Um, how am I going to do that with regards to my training? And, and if I realize that those things actually give me a reward that training can't, and I want to balance them then you've got to at least be cognizant of what the trade-offs are. Um, so that's number one, is you can maximize your reward and productivity. Number two is that um, you can recognize unhealthy and damaging behaviors. So you know how you said, like, you never really feel like less of a person or bad, which I think is great. Um, I think in the, ca- in the case where training has, like, an unreasonable influence on your emotional perception of yourself as a person, as, like, a success or a failure, um, and particularly just because, like, if you train for long enough, you're going to have some bad training days and periods and competitions and things. If it's like unreasonably influential on your emotional state, um, then it could lead you to do things that are, or perceive yourself in ways that are unhealthy. So you could, like I said, unreasonably think you're a bad person, but it could also lead you to do damaging behaviors. So if you're constantly looking to prove yourself via your training to ensure that you're not a bad person or shit or whatever, then perhaps you're going to structure your training in a way that doesn't make you better because you're constantly trying to test or you're that person who ignores the fact that you're, you've got a niggling injury because you think if you can't compete in your comp in two weeks, then your training has failed and you're a bad person as well and you can't get, you can't get the emotional reward that you're getting from training other ways or you've just overweighted what training is to you emotionally such that it's actually making you make a bad decision that's going to make you get a compounded bad emotional experience from training right yeah so how would you how would you deal with that what advice would you give so i've actually had i've had a few clients who are a little bit like this and i had um i had one in particular i had to have this discussion with because she'd had some like chronic injuries and things and it's a very hard discussion to have because like i think people's people's desire to push hard and things is coming from a good place it's coming from from a desire to be better and all those things but but I think when you have like a heart to heart with somebody and you sort of get to the root of like, why is it so important for you to do this? Um, and you can, ex- you can try and explain in rational terms what you're trying to achieve and stuff. Just that process of having a discussion where you are putting things out on the table and being open to them responding can often sort of start to change their mind. And I think, um, I think because, because we hold our powerlifting achievements so personally, um, and the effort that we put into it is is sort of so personal. Sometimes it takes having the opportunity to express it outwardly to actually start to like reconcile it. And if you have never been asked to talk like Alex about <laughs> about your feelings with training, if you if you have a relationship with training, just like if you have a re- relationship with food that isn't serving you well, until you actually start having to articulate it, you almost don't go through that logical sequence of, well, why am I doing this if I know that doing this is going to lead me to this, which I don't want down the track you know so i think the first step is literally an open like non-judgmental conversation where you give advice but you also spend a lot of time listening and you just ask questions and try and really understand where somebody's at and if you can see like a a valuable compromise which gives them some of the emotional return they need whether it's recalibrating goals or or looking for something outside of training or whatever that's going to help them um then you go for that but if you can't at the very least you've sort of opened the door and going back to the relationship with food thing i think like again this is something i've experienced having gone through like large periods of weight loss and like you know being ultra mindful of my eating through to now where i'm just a fucking blob um (laughs) sad not quite fat burke yet um mitch ronan will write to me about that um but like having gone through that phase as well it sort of almost takes some exposure 
to the opposite of what your tendency is in behavior to realize that like that's okay and and i think like it's the like the first thing is discussion open discussion and the second thing is just exposure to behavior and exposure with support so so in the case of food you know when i started going well like i don't want to be this mindful of the way i eat all the time because i don't get as much emotional reward from from like restricting my food and being lean as i do from like you know having a valuable social life spending time with my family and friends and like enjoying food for the flavors it is and i'm sure that i can reconcile the two and square the circle a little bit better when i started having those discussions and having those thoughts and then started exploring them i realized how much middle ground there was to occupy you know so i think training can be very much the same but you need support around you so as a coach i think your role is support and openness would you agree absolutely so what are the things that you would say someone so we've spoken a little bit about the unhealthy behaviors Mm. and the unhealthy feelings about self-worth with regards to training or because of training yeah what do you what do you think of the flip the flip side of that what are the positive things that we should be feeling like and how do we tie how do we differentiate how we feel positively and then in the inverse negatively good question um so when we think about like the things that can form a positive relationship with training sorry did you did you understand what i meant like if we if we can take positive stuff out of training and it makes us feel really good and like we are achieving something as a person mm-hmm. how is it then that it shouldn't be the other way around as a negative yeah like well how, how can we tell someone to only feel the good things and not feel the bad things well i think it's i think it's more it's not so much about not feeling the bad things because they're important i think it's feeling the bad things in proportion and like we always say this like powerlifting is a hobby so on on balance your engagement with powerlifting should make you feel good right so on balance when we look at the positives and negatives associated with lifting we should be like i'm still glad i do it so like currently i'm experiencing some back pain it's pretty fucking annoying gotta say but like that's not enough to outweigh all the things that I enjoy about training that I listed before. And so sometimes it does take a bit of calibration because like, firstly, it's a psychological trait of humans that we're more loss averse and we're more like attuned to and wary of negativity than we are of positivity. Right. Um, And that might not be, that might not be the most pertinent thing to this, but it's, it's worth noting. So sometimes you just need to like, need to draw people's attention to the things that are good because they're too fixated on the things that are bad but also um this somewhat related to the answer i was starting until i realized it wasn't the question you were asking um is you just got to think of like what are the things that actually define your relationship so so if we think about like our relationships again with like food or even with people you think about like that that reciprocity right that like do i get back what i'm putting in um and if not why so you know if you if like yourself and chrissy your fiance if you were like fuck i'm always putting myself out there like you know doing shit to like build up our relationship telling chrissy i love her and she just fucking treats me like shit that you wouldn't feel like that's a positive relationship right so likewise if you felt like that (laughs) shout out chrissy for keeping my boy down (laughs) but like if you Oh, I sorry. Got, I've, got a seri- I've got a serious conversation to have when I get home. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, sorry, bro. You'll have much more time for the podcast <laughs> if you drop her, right? <laughs> but like, if you felt that way about your training, the first question you should be asking is why? Like, why is it that I put so much of myself into this thing and I don't feel good? Um, and if you do that and you're like, well, maybe it's because I'm not attuned to those positives enough, then you've got to consciously start being attuned to those positives and maybe you can change your your approach to training a little bit to reflect it. So maybe you change your level of commitment or maybe you just deliberately structure your training in a way that lets you express the bits that you enjoy. So if the thing you enjoy most in training is the social aspect of training with your friends and stuff, then forcing yourself to train at a time when no one else is there or to not engage with other people because you're like a full fucking zero in the gym, it's probably not going to be the most rewarding way to train, right? So you ask those questions. Am I, am I getting reciprocity? Am I flexible? So that thing I said of being able to dial training training commitment up and down and stuff is important too. Like, you know, there are times in your life when you're not going to be able to engage in training in the most optimal way that you possibly could. So, you know, I mentioned my office worker with the young kids. But like, 
very realistically, like most people will go on a holiday at some stage in their life. And if they're lucky, it might be long. So we've spoken about like training when you're traveling and how enjoyable it can be. Like you and I both really like it, but it's certainly not optimal training. So if you're so fixated on like making optimal gains that you don't enjoy the fact that you're still getting to go to the gym and do something you enjoy a couple of times a week whilst also experiencing the world, that sucks. So you've got to have a bit of flexibility and adjustment in the way you train and be able to sort of say, well, what are the positive things that I can draw from these circumstances rather than optimal circumstances when optimal circumstances don't always exist? Very rarely exist. Very rarely. And then the other thing is like what's transferable about about this process of training to the rest of my life that's useful. So I spoke about that idea of like mindful and, and like diligent engagement with something that's hard and how it gives me reward down the track and like how that introspective you know, thinking about myself, thinking about my engagement with training that you don't do, um, how that like, how that has helped me with other things that I do. And like, I always draw analogies um, between things like training and music or like training and literature or training and video games and shit like that. And it's not because training's always on my mind. It's because I think about training in that way and that adds a layer of reward to it, right? So, so I think that ability to, yeah, look for reciprocity, look for flexibility and look for transferability are like are sort of the three ways we go about it because like i said there are still going to be negatives in training you know i've got a back that's sore and a bench that fucking sucks <laughs> but but that's it's on the up though right yeah <laughs> but, well, my body weight's on the up that might explain <laughs> it but like but like in spite of those things there's still all that upside with training that makes me feel really good about it right and i feel like being aware of of those three things and like sort of how I can manipulate them means that I'll always enjoy training. Like somewhere or another, I'll always love it. And through COVID, even though it was not the way I would have chosen to train in a perfect world, I still fucking loved doing it, right? Mm. So that's why and how. Cool. Cool. Um, on that, I had a question which was basically what types of things make up your relationship with training. And I feel like I fucking nailed it already. So notes were the amount of mental and emotional space it takes up for you. And I think attached to that is like, is it reasonable? So we've kind of mentioned that already, but like if training makes up all of your mental and emotional space, you might be a little bit boring. Um, <laughs> like you probably need some more hobbies, but also if it does, then you got to think about why that's the case and the degree to which it's defining. And again, that's going to depend on just who you are. We spoke about return of investment or reciprocity. Um, and then we spoke about the nature of your emotions around training. So are they positive or negative? Does it give you transferable skills? Um, are you rigid or flexible? And then this is my last point, which is an interesting question. Is Does training overall make you a better and more rounded person? Or do you think it makes you a lesser or more unidimensional person? And does your pursuit of training detract from other things that are important to you? So Alex, have you ever felt that that's the case? Yeah, I have. Um, but only, only socially in that like when I'm very close to competition like i won't go out to eat i won't um go out to drink and you know like i may feel like a little bit of a disconnect from what my friends are doing but that is the only instance and it's usually only like that's very transient right six weeks a year so what if like alternate universe you showed up and they were three years younger than you so 2017 alex and they said like weapon <laughs> absolute machine um uh, can drink <laughs> i can tell you that much for free that boy could drink um but if he showed up and he said even though i can drink i don't never go out with my mates i eat all my meals at home i prep all of them um you know and like i dropped out of uni because i realized that like when i study and i sit at my desk my hips get stiff and my hips need to be loose for squatting and you know like like all these things where it's like basically i'm the ultimate training hermit and then you said like how do you feel and he said lonely what would you say well you need to experience some things yeah exactly right and so i think like i think being able to say hey i'm willing to make this trade-off in the short term and like i'm acknowledging that it's going to disconnect me from my friends for three or four weeks but like this is a really important part of who i am and it gives me a lot of reward so i'm willing to make that trade-off now is important and likewise being able to say most of the year i know i can balance my training with doing all these other things i enjoy and the small trade-off to my training efficiency isn't enough to justify missing seeing people i love is important too right and the other thing to note is that like even if you are that training hermit who you know preps all your meals and doesn't really go out to dinner and like you know 
doesn't have what you and I would consider conventional fun, mm. you may still enjoy your life. Conventional fun. So if I can sumo as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Coward. Um, um, yeah. You may still enjoy your life. Like you may, Absolutely. F- you may feel like nothing's, nothing's missing. Yeah. But and you, that's completely it's fine It's just got to be an informed decision, right? If you thought that was the only way you could live and you were doing it and like, this isn't true to my values, then it's probably not a good thing to be doing. If you're doing it and you're like, I love this and this is the lifestyle I want to live, unreal, more power to you. Um, so I kind of started asking you as well about your sense of identity. So having had this discussion, Alex, I want you to give me three words that sum up what, what training means to you. Uh, community. Yep. Um, improvement. Yep. Competitiveness. Okay. Community is an interesting one. Do you think that's part of what drove you to want to be a coach? Absolutely. Um, I think, well, when, when I first did my PT qualifications, I was, had just dropped out of um, a commerce degree mm. and I told my parents, like, I don't want to do this anymore. And mum was like, well, why don't you go into fitness? You're always, you're spending all your time researching about nutrition and training and you're helping your friends out for free and like you've been training with your mates and helping them out. Why don't you do that? And I was like, well, that doesn't really seem like a job. Yeah, she sounds like a fucking shrink. She was in your head, bro. Yeah. Well, she fucking she got she got a got a wish. Yeah, um, and like it never even really dawned on me that that was a possibility. And I guess you're right. Like part of the community is why I spend so much of my time thinking about powerlifting because I love the community. Mm. Yeah. And like when I go to the gym and I see all my friends and I see them succeed, that makes my experience of my training session better. Like if I go and do a boring Monday and you know three sets of eight. And, you know, two of my friends are there squatting PBs. Like, that may, that is as fun of a session for me as if I was squatting a PB myself. Yeah, so that's huge. It is about the people you're with. Yeah. Very, and I think that's one of the reasons why um, when we, like, it's very rare that really ultra-committed powerlifters and stuff stay training in places like Fitness First for very long because it's just very hard to not have people around you who don't share, like, a, a sense of identity and, like, interest with you. And it's also one of the reasons why people say like when they move to a gym that is like a powerlifting gym or a strength gym or a gym that just has like a serious training culture that it's like one of the best things in their life because they meet people who like who just share that interest with them and can share that enthusiasm, you know? Yeah, and that was like one of the huge things for us. Like we did that comp at lift. Well, you didn't do it. You coached Doug and I. Yeah. And Jules competed as well. And um, we hadn't joined the gym then, but we went in and saw everyone and met a few people and then we all joined up and like that was one of the best things that that i ever did yeah for sure all right next question alex do you think that your identity is a lifter so those things you've just described me that that competitiveness that sense of community that drive for improvement do you think that 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 is sufficient for you to feel like complete as a person or are there other things in your life that are really important well, is that the only part of my identity? Yeah. Like well, the fact you think that that's ridiculous is pretty helpful. Yeah, no, certainly certainly not. So what are some other things that are really important for your self-concept? Like what else feels good or central to you? Um, family, friends. Haven't mentioned Chrissy yet. Fuck, she is in the she's, shit. She's family. <laughs> okay, good. Um, yeah, family, not friends, safe. dogs. Um basketball which isn't on at the moment which is making me that is actually something that is making me sad that is something that is clearly missing in my life i'm gonna tell the people i don't i can't remember like i couldn't off the top of my head say how many times in the past probably two to three weeks you've said man i need i wish there was some sport on like now that the footy started started, which is which has been good i've watched probably every single game (laughs) but you were a hollow man sports Sports for me is like a huge, huge part of my life. And the fact that I can... And, you know, the only jobs that I've ever actually really done have been in sport. I worked as a basketball coach. I worked as a rugby coach. I worked at a basketball stadium. And then I've pretty much worked as a trainer slash coach. Yeah. So, like, for me, I can't imagine my life or my... I can't imagine sports not existing. Like, that just seems like an alternate universe to me. Yeah, for sure. Well, when I think of myself, like, obviously training central to what I do. Um, but it's not sufficient for me to feel complete either. Um, I get huge amounts of joy from playing music with my friends. I like, I like playing video games, not that much, but like as in I I want to do it a couple of hours 
multiple days a week because I enjoy that competitiveness and the fact that it gives me a chance to interact with my friends. I love reading. I like, you know, watching movies. I like, like, I like reading the news. Um, all those things are really important to me too. And even like, even though my work is related to fitness, you know, the process of like thinking like, what can I build to help people and also to be like successful for myself is really rewarding as well. And I think if I didn't have any of those things and, you know, and my relationships with my family and friends and stuff, I could never feel complete either. And I like, I like to recognize the place that training sort of has within them too. And I'm very lucky in that like a lot of my closest friends and probably this is no coincidence. A lot of my closest friends are really, are really like Jimmy people who love to train. And even if they're not powerlifters, like I'd be keen to go have a session with them at any time. You know, if that was a way to hang out with my friends and I'd enjoy both things twice as much for being with each other. Um, yeah. And to, to, to add to that, like, when I'm out with my friends and powerlifting comes up, mm. I really hate it. Oh, me too. Absolutely. It's so boring. Like, I spend my time in the gym thinking about it. I spend my time at work thinking about it. I spend enough time outside of, you know, those hours thinking and conceptualizing people's training and my own training. Mm. And when I'm kind of socializing and someone asks me how training is, I will, like, tell them either I don't want really... I don't really want to talk about it. It's boring. You're or I'll give them like, a really bad week if you say or, that. Or I'll give them like like ten words. Yeah. Well, like I'm not I'm not like short with people, but one of the things I really like, one of the reasons I love having mates who are also not Jimmy people, is when I say like what are you up to, and they tell me about like the investment bank that they work in, where I've just got no experience in that. It's like opening a new world to me. It's so interesting. Um, and I think that that makes me enjoy training more. And we've kind of spoken about this on this episode a little bit, but in others as well, in that like some of the times I was most passionate about training was when it was like the smallest part of my life because it was, or the smallest proportion of my life compared to now because it was like so precious to me. You know, like, it's like an escape. On, yeah, like when I was on placement at uni and stuff, I'd be there like eight till five or nine till five being like, Ugh. and then I'd get to go to the gym for a couple of hours and I was like, woohoo, you know? And having that having that ability to do other things means when I switch back to gym time, it's not like all encompassing. It's precious, and so I really, really think it's helpful. Um, do you think that training enhances your enjoyment of those other things in any way? Um, I I don't. I think like the idea of creating a plan and ticking things off is something that you know anyone can take into any aspect of life, mm. whether it's work or study or whatever. Um, I try to keep them separate. Like I genuinely don't see lots of overlap with, you know, other things in my life versus training. Like obviously my work and my training has a huge overlap because it's similar stuff. But outside of that, like I think the fact that it is separate helps me when I go back to training and when I go back to doing work. For sure. Because I'm not always like on. Yeah. I mean, I've already said I, like, I draw a lot of parallels between training and other things. But I don't draw parallels between, like, I don't sit down to play drums and think, like, sick, I'm at the level of hip flexion I need to pass a comp, <laughs> comp squat. <laughs> um, but, but you know, that process of, like, diligence, I do relate to and, like... Okay, Will, i got a, I got a hypothetical for you. Yeah. Your musical talent yeah. is, is which powerlifter, like... As a musician, who are you? As a powerlifter, what level are you at? Oh, literally me. That's I was thinking about that actually today. Because like in music, I'm competent. Like I'm certainly not shit, but I'm not really good either. Like there's lots of people who just on talent alone absolutely shit on me. And then like the best people in the world would be like, this guy sucks, but like he kind of gets it. But I understand like less so now because I'm less diligent with studying music. But like I understand theoretically what's going on pretty very well in music like just like you understand theoretically bench press you just can't actually perform it yeah 100 percent. but like as in jokes aside i could say that about a lot of things on drums and guitar where like my technical abilities are not that great they're good enough you understand what you should be doing you just can't actually do it 100 um so no like jokes aside me like nice um but that's again part of why i like draw parallels between them because I'm able to just draw that parallel I just did then, you know? Um, but yeah, I think they, I think that they enhance each other um, to a degree, but I'm also like you. Like the fact that they are separate makes makes one more enjoyable. Okay, then the final thing um, 
I wrote down was like maybe in a practical sense when we think about like the course of a powerlifting a powerlifting trainee's career, like how might their relationship with training want to change? Um, and I wrote some notes here, so I'll, I'll put my ideas to you and maybe you can confirm or deny them. So I think that in the early phase of your lifting career, training probably shouldn't like and by rights it shouldn't play a really central role in your life um and i think that's actually good um like you might start training with extreme motivation but you can't really say it's central to your identity if you've done it for like a week well that's what i was going to say because you wrote low you wrote low motivation there and i was actually going to say like generally it's the motivation that gets people to start Mm. and you know gets people in the door for the first four weeks and then it's that routine that keeps them there yeah well i think i think to a degree that's true um but i would say that like if you're just first going to the gym you're literally dipping your toe in the water and so it should be less about being like this a defining characteristic and more about like what can i enjoy about this like what can i learn from doing it hey you know this is pretty neat and then that prompts continual investment and stuff Mm -hmm. but you're right that you probably need some level of motivation to go or else you'd just never do it um after that though like i think a lot of people go go through like this giant peak in investment in training and i certainly did as like a an early and mid intermediate lifter where i was like super duper invested in training and like wanted to be really really good and train like crazy hard and did my mobility every day and all the shit i don't do now um (laughs) it might be why my back hurts wonder why you hurt yeah um but i think that's i think that's also really normal I think it's fine to when you're really enthusiastic about something and it's your key hobby and you have the time want to sort of spend more time thinking about it and learn about it and stuff because that's a reflection of the fact that you love it which is really cool too that's just that's what we tend to see with the like last two years of someone's junior career yeah it seems like every every person who comes through the junior ranks they start coaching in like their last year of juniors mm. and then that's when they like dedicate everything to like going for it and yeah. then it kind of peels back after that yeah, but I think it's in that time when it's like most important that as coaches and as like mindful trainees, you've also got to be like, oh, wow, like I really love this thing. What else am I going to do? Or like, how am I going to balance my enthusiasm with it with like a realistic sense of like the fact that it's not all you can do and it won't be like that forever, mm. you know? So like as a coach, I think if I see somebody who's like super invested in training, I want to be really keen for them as well. But I also want to make sure that I like, I acknowledge and support the other things about them, the person and like, and just let them know, you know, if they're sensitive to peaks, then they're going to be sensitive to troughs as well. And understand that like training something you're going to do for a long time. So you've got to sort of learn to ride it out a little bit, you know? Mm. Yeah. Would you like liken it to learning an instrument? Uh, Like you, you kind of dip your feet in and you learn like a few chords and then you learn like your first song. And then you want to learn like some really difficult song, but you're not willing to put in like the groundwork to continue doing the things that got you better in the first place. You're like kind of trying to go to step five before you've done two, three, four. To a degree that happens like, um, but I don't think it's exactly analogous because I was a little bit like that learning music in a lot of ways, but trying to overreach was if anything helpful because it reminded me of all the other things I had to fill in. And because I was curious, I would like go to do stuff that was too challenging, Mm. realize I couldn't do it and be like, well, I want to understand this thing, even though I can't do it. And so I'd be like learning and thinking on that level while practicing on a level far below it and trying to backfill. Um, So I don't think it's like that. I think music, your level of investment tends to increase reasonably linearly to a point that you just decide that's enough. Um, And people who become like really expert musicians or like pros or whatever, like they they accelerate their investment in music almost always faster and they get to a higher level of practice quickly and they get more proficiency which gives them more feedback um but then they just keep doing more and more and more music so like you know i've got a couple of mates who are like who are pro musos and they just play so much um so i don't think it's the same i think in powerlifting you tend to see that big early peak and then a little bit of a flattening off but there's ways in which it's analogous yeah um but I think the important thing is to sort of be able to recognize, like recognize and establish sort of like a baseline attitude to training and like level of investment and emotional um, emotional importance that it has for you and recognize the times when it's when you're sitting a bit above that and like how you can ride it and recognize when you're falling back towards that and not see that, that fall in motivation as necessarily being bad. It might just be natural. When would you say is the right time to think about 
how much you're willing to put into each aspect of the training pool. Like, let's say you have like 10 out of 10 resources for each. Like, let's go get video game analogy. Like Sick. you You're can get be your, good at this. Like, you can get your, like, your um, technique up to like a, a hundred out of a hundred on, on your points or whatever. Yeah. Like when you're building your character. Yeah. <laughs> like this is the worst. Yeah. I'd definitely go straight to the downloadable content and pay for the shoe expansion pack and get sick, <laughs> sick shoes. That would be the first thing I'd do. <laughs> go uh, on. What's that? What's that? Um, Louis Simmons quote. Don't have don't a hundred uh, pair. Don't have a hundred dollar pair of shoes with a 10 cents quad. Yeah. Something like that. Um, yeah, so when when would you think is the right time to like allocate how many resources you're willing to put into each sort of um, aspect of tra- the training realm? Um, well, I like I personally don't think that we can dichotomize training as being like I'm only interested in technique now. I'm only interested in like hypertrophy. Is that what you're saying? No, I mean like how much effort are you willing to put into nutrition? How much effort? You, how much time are you willing to spend in the gym? How many days a week are you willing to train? How you know much are you gonna focus on doing what's optimal versus like you know trying to be done in 60 minutes like those kind of broad broad brush stuff not not more specific stuff right right um i don't know that there's a time where you like set that for life i think that what happens is by continually just like making changes on the basis of how you feel you sort of like you almost like zero in on what feels about right and then like just like i said with our office worker guy you know, there might be a time when his kids are suddenly at school and he's semi-retired where he feels like training a lot more and he can step it up again because his circumstances have changed too. So I think I think what you what you do is you train the way that you feel emotionally compelled to train at the time. And then because we're introspective people here who think about how training makes us feel, aren't we, Alex? Yep. Yeah. Apparently. Apparently. Um as of an hour ago. <laughs> when um you know, you do those things and then you start saying, well, like, am I enjoying this? Like, am I enjoying it more? Or am I just doing this out of a random sense of compulsion? And, you know, if, you, if you're like, oh, you know what, like I'm doing this and it's not making me feel better or like I'm not enjoying this more, I'm enjoying it less, then that's a pretty good signal to make a change. And if you do it and you feel great, that's a signal to keep going. And I think that what is going to happen is over time, you'll just make adaptations to that and you'll probably find that you spend most of your time regressing to a certain arrangement in the same way that like, I've trained up to six days a week with sessions two to three hours in length. But most of the time I gravitate towards doing sessions that are two hours long on four days a week because that just suits my lifestyle and how much I like to train, you know? Yeah, so I guess I can ask you this then. Like how much of a sort of out of a hundred, how much are you willing to give for your nutrition? Uh, To be the best powerlifter you could be. I don't know how I could reasonably make this scale, but let's call it 65. I was going to so, guess 65. The reason I say 65 is like, I mean, like I'm a dietitian. I know what's in the food that I eat and I diligently ensure that I get mm, enough protein. <laughs> but like I diligently ensure I get enough protein meal by meal. I'm conscious of how many calories I eat and I make sure that I eat foods pre-workout that facilitate my training. When I have a specific body composition goal, I'm very happy to track my macros within ranges and things. And like I do I do food prep when I have to as a way of ensuring that I have food that I both enjoy and helps meet those goals. But like there's only so far I'd be willing to take it and I wouldn't give up on going out for meals provided that I can roughly try and meet those meet those stipulations most of the time. Or like anything else that I felt was detracting from the other things in my life that were important. So like I'm saying 65, but for some people that might be an 80. Yeah. That sounded a bit more like 80. Yeah. Well, like as in for me, that's a very low effort thing to do because like, I I guess because that's because your knowledge is higher. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, (laughs) so yeah, I don't know, 65, 70, 95. (laughs) Um, And, but likewise in training, like, you know, I love training, but there's plenty of times when I finish training and I'm like, I can't wait to go home and not do training for a while because I spend so much time in the gym. Yeah, like let's okay, let's say your coach Bryce came to you and said, like, okay, I want you to be the 94 Australian champion. First of all, laugh at him. Yeah, it's it, fucking idiot. And like, okay, let's say, say he wanted you to pay like close attention to your diet. He wanted you to do more training 
uh, more training days, longer training sessions, more total sets? Like, what would be your response? Depends on the time, because there would be times when I'd be really enthusiastic about that. And I'm hoping that in the next six or eight months in my business, I'll be spending a lot less time in the gym because I'm doing a lot of work to make my online systems better. By the way, I'm taking on new clients. Message me if you want. Um, but like there might be a time when I go like, you know what? I've got my work routine really well established. Like I'm, I'm really happy and I'm motivated because like the Aussie championships are coming up. I'm building training momentum. My body feels good, you know, and like all those things are in place where I'm like, I really feel like giving this a crack. Where if you said that, I'd be excited that somebody like believed in me to that degree. But there could also be a time where he said, Will, I want you to train six days a week, two hours a day and all this stuff where I'd go like, man, you know, I got like 10 gigs coming out with my band and I'm really busy at work and I just don't really feel like doing it that much right now. And so I guess that almost comes to the crux of this episode is like, I'd have to look at my life and say like, how am I feeling about doing that training right now before I could make a decision? So I don't know. So that goes back to what you were saying before is it, it's contextual. It 100% relies on, you know, what the other things going on in your life and where you can, you know, slide more training resources into. For yeah. instance, if you had like a hundred units of points to give to stuff and you had 700 of them for work and 100 of them for social, you could give. I was so excited for, to use the video give, game points. <laughs> you could give 200 for training. Yeah. But if your work went down to 500, yeah. but maybe social went up to 150, you have, we still have 350. Good yes. maths. <laughs> yeah exactly exactly that I think that's a good way of visualizing it it's like you can only fill your pots up with a certain amount of resources yeah and you know everything can't be 100 yeah and if your training has to give if your training's filled to 500 and your social is like below the baseline that makes you feel happy about your social life which is yeah that might be 100 or might be 50 or might be 200 for some people Mm. yeah then then something's got to give Mm. yeah so you've got to fill your pots I feel like that we could almost finish this episode with just that. Weekly ways. I've got a question for you for after the break before we do underrated, overrated, properly rated, all right? Off the off air? Oh, no, no. I'm going to ask it on air. Oh. And I want the people to think about the answer to this question. The question is, should we have a slogan? And if so, what should it be? We'll be right back with Alex's answer after the break. Hello, Top Sucks. Welcome back. Episode 105. Um, yes, we should have a slogan. Okay. I mean, I said to you that it's this should just be the people's podcast. Yeah. And you were like, it's not even. But it is. Well, it is like technically the people's podcast. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I reckon maybe fill your pots, bro. That was that was profound when you said fill that. Fill your MF and pots. <laughs> or yeah, the boys. That's Yeah, or, or, gym or and just footy. gym and footy. Yeah, that's gym and I was footy thinking. was good. We, you know what? We actually do talk about footy a surprising amount on this podcast. Like for a f- podcast that's technically gym only. Can we talk more about basketball? We can try. I mean, like I've watched The Last Dance now, so I feel like I know a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's, that's about it. So, okay. We're going with Fill the Pots, boys. Fill the Pots, yeah, the boys. Gym and footy people. Gym and footy hire us. Yeah, man. <laughs> please. Yeah, please. <laughs> um, I... Yeah, I reckon the people's podcast is fine. So we got we did get a submission for underrated, overrated, properly rated via our audience request form, which you can find via my profile or via the Weekly Weights podcast profile on Instagram, which if you're not following, you should. So under the miscellaneous question, tell us anything you want. Somebody submitted Fat Burke, but somebody else said underrated, properly rated, overrated, which uh, is, is that it- is completely wrong. Is there not a separate question for that? No, there isn't. Ah. Um, I can add that question. Yeah, you probably should. But um, underrated, so it's overrated, underrated, probably rated, isn't it? It is. And I always say underrated, overrated, probably rated, don't I? <laughs> yes, so you this do. person has done <laughs> another completely <laughs> terrible arrangement. Underrated, probably rated, overrated, quest bars. Quest bars are really overrated. Okay. Um, they don't taste good. Okay. The, Fucking shots. The texture's yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah, go on. They're hard to eat. Yeah. They're not very filling, even though they've got a lot of fiber. Yeah. 
the fibers like fucking xanatol or something though. Yeah, it's, like, it's shit. It makes you shit yourself. Yeah, it makes you fucking. Well, I mean, anus. I mean, I haven't had any issues with that, but I've heard people like yourself say that. Yeah, oh, I haven't shat myself. I want to make that publicly <laughs> clear. I've they make me fart heaps, pissing out your ass. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I think. I just don't think that they taste good, have good texture, or fill you up, which is the things that they're supposed to do. So, all around, bad. And, correct me if I'm wrong, but they have lots of sugar alcohols in them, and That's they don't... That's the fiber that they don't, talking about. They don't count towards the carbs, yet... Um, so, if you were to track the, quote-unquote, macros, and not track the calories, and take the extra calories into account, you'd be lower in calories than what you'd think? Uh, I'm not sure how they're shown on the package, but yeah, sugar alcohols... At least in the states, don't have to be shown as carbs because they're technically not. Um, but they do still yield energy, and it's I think on average about two calories per gram. But I'm not 100 percent on that. Um, but yeah, the calorie count is higher than you would add up in the macros if you didn't count them. It's like calorie. Halo Top. They're the Halo Top sucks. Halo Top is terrible, like abysmal. Halo Top is literally the. W- I would prefer to not eat dessert than eat a tub of Halo Top. Yeah, 100%. I was about to say that. Like, Quest Bars, I agree they're overrated. They're not that good. But there are times where, like, I'll grab a Quest Bar and a Pepsi Max or something, and it's like, it's okay. I don't, like, I don't derive huge pleasure from it, but it's like a snack that I can have. But if somebody said, do you want this tub of Halo Top for free? I would be like, no. And if they were like, I'm throwing it in the bin if you don't take it, I would throw it in the bin for them. That's <laughs> do you have two I that I can throw in the bin? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, they are abysmally bad. Like, when I first tried Halo Top, shit you not, I couldn't believe that it could be that bad. I thought it was off. I was like, <laughs> I had a spoonful. And I was like, is this fucking broken? <laughs> like, it's so bad. So, like, on Instagram, I'll post my opinions on training on my story every now and again. Like, yeah. just like... Not obviously about your fucking emotions around training. <laughs> Just threaten. small little things about training. And I'll, you know, I usually get a few replies. Once I posted PSA Halo Top sucks, and I reckon I had 50 replies. All being like, oh my God, agreed, or like, fuck off. It was like the most divisive, polarizing, polarizing product ever. Yeah, well, I'm astonished. It is indefensible. If you like Halo Top, like, you are fucking barking up the wrong tree hard. That's a terrible... It's a non-dessert. That's a chore to eat. It's literally like <laughs> flavoured ice. It's so bad. It's like dairy flavoured ice. It's terrible. The thing is, like, the point of dessert, right, is, like, is to give you something that is literally to satisfy, like, your food reward systems. That's why we have cake... And there's like fucking sugar and fat or like some salt. And it's like got really nice mouthfeel and it's just delicious. And that's the point of dessert. It's not there to fucking hit your macros. It's there to be nice. And so you don't need a lot of it because it's just for that sensation of being nice. But if you have lots of it, it's even nicer, right? Halo Top fucking stinks. It's so bad. It doesn't meet any of those things. And the thing is like, I can get pleasure out of eating a salad if the salad is tasty, right? Like, there are lots of salads that I enjoy eating, but I've never enjoyed eating Halo Top. So when I'm like, what is the function of dessert? It's for my own culinary enjoyment. If you said, do you want Halo Top or salad for dessert? I'd say salad. <laughs> like that is an indictment on an how ice many, cream. How many, <laughs> how many calories in a tub? Like three, is it 360 or something like that? <laughs> when I get them, zero. Because I won't eat it, but I don't know. Okay, something like 360. Let's yeah. say 360. How much rice can you get for 360 carbs? So much. I don't know, but he 360 calories, sorry. And if you put lots of soy sauce in rice, it's actually really nice. Like, I would prefer to have a little bit of extra chicken and heaps of extra rice in my dinner than have Halo Top. Fucking word. Yeah. So, So we were asked asked about Quest Bars and we started talking about Halo Top. I agree with you. Quest Bars are the correct. Let's continue on the tangent, Will. Yeah. Let's talk about desserts. (laughs) Fuck it. Yep. Okay. All right. I want you to rank your three top desserts in order. I'm going to do... Should we, should we do a break? No, I don't need to do a break. So, official ratings, boys, which is the largely not used Instagram account that Brandon and I made for rating things specifically like this, um, rated dessert foods. And we we spoke about how most dessert foods are overrated. Um But when we did the actual quality of desserts, a few of the highest ranking ones... Sticky date pudding. Sticky date... Terrible. 
You're so wrong. Golden Gay Time. Thoughts on Golden Gay uh, Time? Delicious. Um, gelato, Cheesecake, and Creme Brulee were all close to each other, but a decent way below them. Um, but I think Sticky Day Pudding is unreal. And if you don't like it, is I that's feel your like you've only pudding? had a bad one. That's your favorite dessert. It'd have to be very up there. You re- You look staggered. What's your favorite dessert? Favorite dessert? Baked New York Cheesecake. Yeah, like I could absolutely back that. Number two, hot brownie with scoop of vanilla ice cream. Uh, mixed feelings. I like I like a hot brownie, but I actually opinion ice cream with pretty much all pastries is overrated, and I would rather have a cup of milk. My third one is. <laughs> you just let that my, Well, my third one is apple pie with vanilla ice cream. No, nah, apple pie sucks. Apple pie is awesome. Apple pie is so bad. I really don't like it. No, I'm not talking like Macca's apple pie, which is also good. <laughs> Do you remember? It was an American pie where um, old mate roots a pie. Isn't that why it's called American pie? Probably, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that would make sense. Um, apple pie sucks, dude. I'm um, like... Sticky day pudding, yep. Cheesecake, absolutely back it. And I do back like chocolate pastry desserts or just honestly like fresh cookies or fresh banana bread, even fresh scones. Scones are scones are an underrated food. You're, scones are overrated. Scones are fucking dope, dude. And like, you, like I said, cup only, of milk. The only time scones are good is when you actually have cream with the scones. Yeah, you got to have cream and strawberry jam, not jam. raspberry jam, yeah, cuz raspberry jam is fucking popular. Raspberry jam is the halo top of jam. Yeah, 100%. I'll back that in all the way. Raspberry jam is fucking That's shit. we just found our slogan. <laughs> Weekly weights halo top sucks. <laughs> but yeah, scones are fucking primo, dude. They're great. Um caramel f- caramel slice, I forgot that. Oh, caramel slice is really good. Um but I tell you what's not good, and I'm going to sign off on this for the week. Choc mint. Choc mint fucking sucks. Mint slices are good, but choc mint ice cream is shit. Choc mint... Mint slices are like, okay. Mint slices are good. But choc mint, just the concept is bad. My, my uh, friend and my friend and like a bunch of his mates did a mint slice challenge. Well, you got to eat like a whole box Two of packets of mint slices during a footy game. Each? Each. That's disgusting. And only one person. He was the only one who could do it. Is he fat? No. Oh, wow. Respect. Well, mint slice is bad. Oh, mint slice is okay. Mint slice is a good man. But choc mint as a concept is bad because like if I wanted that, I could just eat chocolate and brush my teeth. Actually, arrow is good. Yeah. I'm not sold. Do you like Turkish Delight? No, nah, Turkish Delight is oh, fucking shit. What? Turkish Delight sucks. We have vastly different dessert tastes. I feel I've like we're going <laughs> to interrogate this in future episodes of Weekly Weights. I'm Will at W.BerkmanPT. Please inquire with me for coaching. I'm Alex. Alex has underscore process. Do you want to ask for coaching too? Sure. Okay. Alex would also take you on if you're interested. All right. <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>